Well, sometimes when the weather hits and the attendance is a little down, I like to come down here. So we'll be preaching from down here today and hope everybody is okay with that because I'm not going back up, okay? So, all right, let's pray and we'll get into the passage. Father, would you give us grace to work through this material in a way that would honor you? Thank you that you've revealed to us how your servants are to steward and shepherd in the church of the living God. And I pray for our elders here that we would um, embody the passage that we've heard in our reading this morning, and that we would shepherd just as Christ shepherds. We labor for the chief shepherd. We labor for the head overseer. And I pray that we would never lose sight of the fact that these are your sheep and we're stewarding them on your behalf. Help us to hear these words with an open heart and help us to receive what you would have for us today with gratitude. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, since our kids are up here today, I have a, I'd like the kiddos to participate in the opening of the sermon. Are children ready for a little participation? I want children under the age of eight. If you're eight or under, you can answer this question, okay? Timmy, how old are you? So, okay, you, you got in. You cleared it just, you're barely underneath of it. It's like, you know, yeah, this is good. Okay, all right, here we go. Children, what does it mean, this is a tough one, okay, what does it mean to tell the truth? What does it mean to tell the truth? Now, be warned, children, it's trickier than you might think, because it's not this, it's not being honest. Because being honest is the same thing as telling the truth. So I want to hear what it would mean to be honest. So think that through. Give it a second. I saw Ella's hand shoot right up. Ella, what does it mean to tell the truth or to be honest? To not lie. Okay, good. We're off to a good start. Gracie, did you have one? Yes, ma'am. To tell somebody that you did, but what if you did something right? Okay, good, good, okay. Did I see Timmy's hand over here? That's a tough one, isn't it? Yes, sir. You don't know? Okay, let's open it up if you're 12 or under. What does it mean to tell the truth if you're 12 or under? Yes, Charlotte. Okay, that, that, that's part of telling the truth. Good, good. Anybody else? Max, I'm ready to hear this. Okay, to come clean. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm hearing a theme here among our kids. But now, kids, this is a very hard question, isn't it? And it's what we would call abstract. It's an abstract concept. It's hard. Okay, not criticism. But parents, how many of you are satisfied that we have had a proper definition of telling the truth presented before us today? I don't, I don't think we have. I, I think we've gotten some around it, okay? I think we've gotten some around it. And children, what if I told you that telling the truth is to speak in a way that conforms with reality? <laughs> I don't expect you would have come up with that. But it's to say 
what's really there, right? So if you, Gracie, if you did something wrong, then telling the truth would be to say that you did something that was wrong. You are saying what, is re- what really happened, okay? Or, Timmy, if you did something right, you say that you did something right. You really did that, and so you say what? Or if you've got a plate of delicious spaghetti in front of you, you say, wow, that, that's a plate of delicious spaghetti. You don't say that's a steak dinner because what's really there is a plate of spaghetti. Are we all tracking? To tell the truth is to say what's really there. Okay. Now, why am I going into this? Because actually, the concept of truth and eldering, being an elder, goes hand in glove. The idea of eldership, the truth of it, is greatly under attack in our day and age from a lot of different ways. And the irony is the function of an elder is to protect the truth and to articulate the truth and teach the truth and tell the truth. So very much so, whereas we learned last week that deacons are primarily responsible for all the ministry portions of church, the ancillary ministries, the truth, truth matters, falls under the authority, falls under the ministry responsibilities of elders. Okay, And I think we'll see that a little bit more as we work through. Now, we're taking a couple weeks just to talk through Fellowship Bible Church's government, okay? How we govern ourselves. And like I said last week when we covered deacons, our goal primarily is to try to conform to the New Testament as much as possible. Now, I am by no means saying that other leadership structures aren't conforming. What I am saying is our goal is as best as we can to conform to the leader, to conform to the Bible's presentation of truth on leadership. And since we have so many new folks who've been joining us recently as an elder team, we wanted to work through this material just to make sure we're all um, understanding why we do what we do here at Fellowship. Now, I'm going to work through this material very quickly, okay, and then make some applications at the end. So let's b- buckle your seatbelts on. We're going to work through this very quickly. Don't worry about keeping up with the notes. If you'd like to, we will have, we've got the PowerPoint. You can get all that. We can get that to you. That is no problem at all. Where does the idea of elders come from? We have elders. There are also people here called pastors. And I'm going to get to the distinction here in a minute. But where does the idea of elders even come from? And I want you to know that the idea of elders basically runs through the whole Bible. The first mention of an elder occurs in Genesis chapter 50, verse 7, to refer to government leaders in the nation of Egypt. This is during Joseph's time. There were leaders in Egypt whose official title, we might call them senators, they called them elders. And that's the first use of the word elder in our Bible. The word begins to take even more shape beginning in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, God sends Moses to talk to the elders 
of Israel when Israel was still living in Egypt. Moving forward in Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 and following, the elders of Israel were there to help Moses obey the laws that God had been giving them. This was a brand new nation, and they needed all sorts of help in applying the word of God to their lives, to um, legal matters, to religious matters. And the elders were sort of the civic leaders in charge of this nation Israel. Now, priests, of course, were over the spiritual matters. There wasn't a strong division, though. It wasn't like, oh, that's only a priestly duty, and that's only an elder duty. There were separate priestly duties, and there were separate elder duties, but those thing, but there's a lot of middle ground that tended to sort of coalesce. And so these elders were recognized leaders in Israel for maintaining the theocracy that God had set up. We come to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 41, and we see the elders taking on a very important role in the first century. In fact, Matthew highlights multiple times that the elders were key in bringing Jesus to trial and crucifying him. I think we often, and with very good reason, read only the words Pharisees and Sadducees and so forth. And we sort of tend to gloss over the elders component. But Matthew is always very precise that the elders, a recognized body of civic leaders, were very much at the center of the crucifixion of Jesus. The church, as we said last week, was began primarily Jewish. And so when these Jewish people began doing church in a New Testament way, very much of the time they took what they knew of their former life and religion and culture and so forth, and it's not that they adopted it necessarily into Christendom, it just naturally flowed into what they were doing in the New Testament church. And so we read for the first time of the office of a New Testament elder in Acts chapter 11, verse 30. There were some funds that needed to be distributed all over uh, the known area. There was a famine that was coming, and a collection was taken. And it says that the collection was delivered by the hands of the elders. Now, again, this very much is in line with what we saw in the Old Testament, where elders were civic leaders, recognized civic authorities. But as Acts begins to move forward, the role of elder starts to change from civic leader to spiritual leader. From civic leader to an officer whose job it is to teach and deal in the truth. And so it is. We come to Acts chapter 14, and we see that Paul is putting elders into every church. In fact, Paul considered elders a necessary part of every church. In fact, it was when he speaks to his protege, Titus, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you would appoint elders in every town. Now, that's not something... I, I've attended a lot of commissioning services, say, for church planners, and that's not always the first thing on the minds of our commissioning of these church planners. Go make some elders, 
It's go make a church. And Paul's saying, I want you to make elders because elders is a part of a church. It's a necessary part of every church. Also, in Acts chapter 15, there's a crisis. There's a major crisis. Who can be Christians? Is it people who accept Jesus only by faith? Or is it people who accept Jesus by faith and then add something of the law to it? And the elders all over the world gathered in Jerusalem to settle this theological question. And from here, we see a major shift. It was probably already taking place, but we see this shift fundamentally and forevermore take place right here in Acts 15, where elders suddenly become chiefly responsible for the doctrine of the church of the living God. They are the ones whose job it is, is to preserve God's truth and to teach God's truth the world over. Before this, elders were recognized civic leaders, and in the church of the living God, elders are recognized as having the Spirit of God working in them, and they are the teachers of truth, and they are tasked with preserving God's truth in their teaching, because God's truth doesn't change. God's truth does not change, no matter how much we want it to. It doesn't, and it's the elder's job to preserve its teaching and to keep teaching it. Now, I had you turn to 1 Peter 5, and I'm not advocating that you turn now to 1 Timothy 5, but you can if you want. Because there might be a question kind of rolling around in your mind. I know it would be if it were me. You keep talking about elders, but we don't call you Elder Greg. And we don't call Pastor Chris Elder Chris. We call him Pastor Chris and Pastor Dom and Pastor Greg. So what gives? Why are in some situations you're calling yourself elder, and in some situations you're calling yourself pastor? Well, 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, lets us in on the fact that there are two types of elders. Okay? Every pastor is an elder. There are, in fact, three terms for elders, which are present in 1 Peter 5, and we'll cover in a minute. Overseer, which we get the word episkopos from. It's from the Greek word episkopos, episkopos, episkopeo, to look over, to scan over, scope out over. That's where we get the word scope from. There's shepherd, which is uh, the word for feeding or tending sheep. And then there's the word elder, presbuteros. We get the, we get the denomination presbyterian from that word. Okay? In 1 Timothy 5, we see that there are two categories of these elders, pastors, shepherds. One category is what we call lay elders. These are people in the church who are recognized for their position of spiritual leadership. They can teach, they can oversee, administrate a church. And then there's a second category of these overseers, and these are men who labor in the ministry of the word. They are men who labor in teaching. And Paul is going to go on and say that it's good that these men are remunerated. It's not good to muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, Paul says. So there are 
elders who have workaday jobs and and uh, they're laymen, they serve in their church, but they're serving in an uncompensated way. And then there are elders who, much like Old Testament priests, don't have nine to five jobs in the sense of working, owning your own business, working for a company or something like that. Their primary job at, is to shepherd the people of God, to labor in teaching and counseling, administration, and so forth. And gatherings of Christians essentially say their ministry is so important to us that we're going to sacrifice of our goods so that they can have a salary and have their own money, and this can essentially be their job. Does that make sense? And so Paul says that that's an elder who is worthy of double honor, one who is remunerated for his pay, or remunerated for his ministry. He's, in a sense, liberated from the burden of a nine-to-five job so that he can minister to God's people. Now, one thing to note, when it comes to church matters, never does the New Testament say that a paid elder has more authority than an unpaid elder. They're equal standing in God's economy. It's just that, for one, the church has said, we want this to be your job. Does that make sense? And so that's how, that's why we, and at fellowship, we sort of distinguish that. The men who labor in ministry as their job, we designate them pastors. And that's not a technical thing. It's just more or less how we've come to describe it to distinguish the difference there. And then there are also ruling elders. That makes sense, everybody? If you have any questions about that, you can see me afterward. I said that I wasn't going to get bogged down, and here I got hopelessly bogged down on the first slide. Sigh. Let's move to the second slide, where we can move through a little more quickly. I had you, there are qualifications for elders, and I'm going to just click through these very quickly. I'm not going to turn there. You can look up those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, or Titus 1, 5 through 9. And the points that stand out to us are these. That an elder's primary concern is accurate doctrine and teaching. Okay? In Acts chapter 6, we found out that the, the apostle said, it is not good for us to serve tables to the neglect of the ministry of the word and prayer. As we read First Timothy and Titus, Paul is constantly encouraging elders to labor in the ministry of the word and prayer. When Paul talks to the Ephesian elders, he encourages them to continue in the doctrine, to continue in the things they've learned, the Teaching and truth and doctrine are of primary importance to an elder. Number two, elders are family men. They're committed to whatever family God has given them. In fact, the family, in many ways, is sort of the proving ground for an elder. That's uh, As part of the qualifications goes, the home life of an elder is supposed to be up, and up for investigation. And number three, for all the need of an elder to passionately call people to follow God's truth, the primary, the, the most notable character quality of an elder is that overall he be meek and humble and patient. So by far, not that, that doesn't mean that elders 
shouldn't sometimes reprove or rebuke or exhort, for that is the role of an elder from time to time. Those ought to be notable exceptions for a man who, by and large, is meek and humble and gentle. Now, as with the deacons, we don't write a man off completely for a moment of impatience or a harsh word or a momentary failure. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus called Peter to be a shepherd at Peter's one of Peter's lowest points in life. However, there's a general tenor of a man's life that God wants the church to look at for who they consider to be elders. Now, one thing, and this is for free, okay? I'm going to take a minute to get myself into trouble, and you can, you, this, is, this is not reflective of anybody but me, okay? There is a scourge in the church of the living God called celebrity pastors. There is one celebrity in God's kingdom, and it is Jesus. Okay? And it is personally offensive to me to see preachers supposedly speaking for the Lord, living lavish lifestyles, jet-setting all over the country, preaching sermons that are an inch deep and a mile wide, that is not what Christ called us to be. And the reason they get away with it is Christians keep bankrolling it. And Christians ought to have more sense than that. And stop it. None of you are doing that. I know that. But just so you know where I stand on the celebrity pastor, <laughs> it is not appropriate. And any pastor that considers himself a celebrity should do us all a favor and leave the ministry ASAP, for he has forgotten his place in God's kingdom. That was for free. Elders, shepherds, and overseers from 1 Peter 5. We see here in 1 Peter 5 the titles we have here. So I exhort the elders among you, there's our first title, as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here's our second title for pastors. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And here's our third title, exercising oversight. Okay. Now, one thing you need to notice, I have up here on the screen, it says pastoral titles and actions. Because the titles and the actions are almost one and the same, and they complement each other. We call a man a pastor because he does the work of a pastor. We call a man an overseer because he does the work of an overseer, and so forth. And so we see right here that the titles and the actions sort of go together. And like we've covered before, elders is the most common New Testament title. Pastors, it's their job to feed and shepherd and tend the flock of God. In John 21, verses 15 through 17, we meet Peter, and he has decided to go fishing. Now, ordinarily, for anybody else, fishing wouldn't be a problem. Peter was a vocational fisherman prior to meeting Jesus, and 
It was something he was good at, something he enjoyed. Jesus came to him and said, leave your nets and follow me. And and Peter threw his nets down and followed Jesus. And Peter said, from now on, you're going to be fishing for men. Peter seemed to be doing great. But then one night, the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter lied three times and invoked a curse upon himself. And the moment he did that, he saw the face of Jesus who had predicted this downfall, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. And he never quite got over it. And Peter, I'm reading between the lines here, maybe this isn't exactly right, but it seems to me to be, to make a lot of sense. Peter at some point decided that it was probably best for everybody if he just go back to fishing. He disappointed everybody. He told Christ he would stand up for him, and then he didn't. He couldn't even stand up to a slave girl. If he can't stand up to a slave girl, how is he ever to be the rock that Jesus told him he would be? And so for the good of everybody, I'm just going to go back fishing again. And so Jesus lets him fish all night and didn't catch anything. And we've got some great fishermen in our church, and it's pretty rare they don't catch anything, but sometimes they get skunked. Well, Peter got skunked all night. And then Jesus does the thing that all fishermen love when they get skunked. He says, have you tried this? Now, fishermen, when you're in the midst of getting skunked, do you like amateurs, rank amateurs, to tell you to try something different? Probably not. Okay. In fact, Jesus even uses an out-of-context vocabulary word to enhance his amateurishness or perception of it. And Peter, no doubt, rolls his eyes, okay, fine, I'll do what you say. I'll take my net from this side of the boat to that side of the boat. It was probably a matter of this far. Whatever you say, I'll do it to humor you. And the net caught so many fish that it couldn't be brought in. And Peter knew it was the Lord. Peter swam to the shore, met his Lord. And his Lord said, do you love me? Peter said, I, I do. I have fond affection for you. And three times, Peter, Jesus commissioned Peter, shepherd my flock, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. And here, Peter thought, He had utterly, completely disqualified himself. Jesus called him out of strength to be a fisherman of men, but called him out of weakness to be a pastor. And so Peter takes this up, and now he's writing to us about what shepherds do. 
we shepherd, we feed, we tend. It says in Acts 20, 28 that we oversee, we care for the church. Jesus, of course, 1 Peter 25, is the chief overseer. What's our method? Our method is, well, we see here in 1 Peter 2, not compelled by man. And if memory serves, I forgot to write it down this morning, but if memory serves, this is the only time in the entire Bible, whether it be the Greek New Testament or the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that this word is used. So we're not totally sure what Peter has in mind here, but he says, but willingly. We're not to be motivated by money, but rather eagerly. Not lording it over people, but modeling, being examples of the flock. Now this word, lording it over people, would have had special significance to Peter. Because this is the exact word that Jesus used when he was rebuking the disciples for having a disagreement over who would be the greatest. I believe that Peter had this argument. Who's the greatest? And the other 11 didn't think that he would be. And so he starts arguing with them. And Jesus stops them in their tracks and says, you know the, 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 the big men on earth, they lorded over you. Not so in my kingdom. And so Peter is passing along to elders what he had received personally from the Lord, not to bully, not to lord, not to come down hard, but to be a model of what it means to follow Christ. There's a third thing from 1 Peter 5 that we can look into, elders, shepherds, and overseers. There's a pastoral motivation. We serve a chief shepherd who is coming in glory. I want you to notice the wraparound from verses 1 to verse 4. He says, I'm going to share in the glory that's to be revealed. And then he sort of ties that up in verse 4 with, if you continue this faithful service as a shepherd, you will receive a reward in the glory that's to come. Peter liked to do that in his writing to create these wraparounds. Those who labor as elders are guaranteed a reward. No, we shouldn't be celebrities in God's kingdom, but there is coming a reward for those who faithfully tend Christ's sheep. The reward is certain. He says, you shall receive. The reward is eternal. In 1 Peter 4, we're told that we have an unfading inheritance, and here is the same word for unfading. Jesus will give his elders a crown. It says here that it's a reward that's triumphant. It's a, a stephanos, a victor's crown. And Jesus says those who've labored as in the ministry of pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd, and they've done so faithfully, they're going to get a crown that's going to look a trillion days from now as new as the day they got it. Furthermore, the appropriate joy that results from that reward will never fade. We get a picture of this. I mean, us guys, guys, you get a nice new shiny toy. Sometimes I get nice new shiny toys. How long does the joy of the shiny new toy last? Well, it depends on the toy, right? Sometimes it lasts a while, but it always does fade away, doesn't it? it? 
Maybe even you want a better toy than the one that made you so happy a while ago. That happens to me sometimes. I'm like, man, if I had this toy, that would make this other toy that made me happy obsolete. Okay? Well, eventually things fade and it becomes just another thing. Well, for the pastor who labors faithfully, they'll be given a crown, the joy of which will never fade away along with the crown. It's an absolute, it's an absolutely stunning reward, especially given that the ministry itself is a reward. Serving God in a pastoral ministry is not a burden. It's a joy. It's a life that, it is a life, it's a calling, it's not a job. And it's, it's a life that is filled with so many highs because you get to share all of these wonderful triumphs with people all along. I get to sit down at my desk and study the word, and that's, that's my job, if there is such a thing as a job in ministry. It's, a, it's an incredibly rewarding life, and then we get a reward on top of that. The grace of God in that is astounding. Well, elders at FPC, how do we do this at Fellowship Bible Church? At present, we have four elders. Okay, Steve Ransom, go ahead and raise your hand right here so those of you can see Steve. Steve's our lone lay elder right now. And then there are three other elders who we also call pastors. So if you don't know who Pastor Dom is, Pastor Dom, raise your hand. And Pastor Chris right here, and I'm Pastor Greg. Okay, we're also elders. I guess you could also call us. What was the other word? Um, yeah, I forget. Now there might be some confusion. Some of you might be like, "Hey, isn't the word bishop in the New Testament?" Ah, uh, no. Sorry to say, um, when the King James Bible was translated, there was a lot of political motivations going on in that translation. And to keep the Church of England happy, on occasion, the translators would supply the word bishop for um, overseer. And so I guess you could call a bishop an overseer in that sense, but it's not a different position altogether. And that's created some confusion. Having said that, what are the roles we take up? Well, um, so, you know, we have an elders meeting generally once a week. We take some weeks off here and there. Um, and uh, the four of us get together. We, we talk through people needs. We talk through sort of vision needs for the church. We talk through planning needs. Um, we used to talk about COVID a lot, which we haven't talked about in a long time, and that's such a blessing. Now we talk about the parsonage a lot. And... I'm looking, I've loved working on the parsonage, but I'm looking forward to an elders meeting where we don't talk about the parsonage, okay? It's been wonderful, but I'm, I'm, ready, to be, I'm ready to finish that project and call it good. Well, we pray. We talk mostly about the spiritual needs of our people. As far as roles go here at Fellowship, Pastor Dom is over what we call pastoral care. Um, I've told this story before, I think. Pastor Dom was wrapping up his ministries at BMW. He was a member of our church 
And we called him Pastor Don, but he wasn't on our pastoral staff. I, I went to visit somebody in the hospital, and they were a little disappointed that it was me visiting them and not Pastor Dom, okay? <laughs> and that was my clue. I was like, oh, I think we need to probably have Pastor Dom doing this in some sort of official capacity, because I think he was only an hour behind me anyway, okay? So Pastor Dom is in charge of what we call pastoral care, getting meals to people, uh, visiting you in the hospital, uh, really trying to make sure that nobody falls through the cracks on any of these shepherding details. He's, now, I'm called to do that. Pastor Chris is called to do that. But Pastor Dom is gifted at that. Okay, And there's a big difference between somebody who's doing their best and somebody who's gifted. Okay, And we want Pastor Dom fulfilling his gifts that way. He's in charge of senior saints, and lately, of course, he's been taking up the lead in the parsonage. We praise the Lord that God gave him this surgery in his brain. Is it, it's, it's added years, maybe a decade or more, to his energy and strength, and he's just been at it all the time. We praise the Lord for him. Pastor Chris is over children and youth. Now, the same for Pastor Dom on shepherding. We're all commanded to administrate, um, and I thought I was okay at administration until I started comparing myself with the prodigious administrative gifts of the Chris Pennington. Okay, and I, anymore, I'm like, I'm a, I, I'm a novice, okay? Um, Chris is incredibly gifted in a variety of areas, and they all sort of coalesce into this amazing administrative uh, mind, and I, I marvel at it. Um, anything presentation-wise, he's sort of over. And one of the things that we've tried to do, one of... I don't know if it's my philosophy or just has been fellowship's philosophy. We don't want to pigeonhole people into tasks. We want their gifts to run out in front of them, and, and, and their gifts will start to sort of shape what they do. Okay? And we want people doing what they're gifted at. And um, when Chris came on board here, I had no clue how gifted he was in certain areas, and now his, his role has taken shape to him, and we're so blessed for it. Um, my job is the lead pastor here. I, I serve in teaching and counseling and sort of general oversight. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I would have a hard time writing a job description. If somebody said, hey, Greg, what's your job description at Fellowship? I'd be like, I teach and counsel and um, keep Pastor Chris out of trouble. Um, I'm teasing. He keeps me out of trouble. Um, and uh, but yeah, it, and so we we have an excellent elder team. We have an excellent pastoral team, and really, uh, it's it's been a joy to serve with these men and serve with you in that way. But so you know, that's that's who we are, and that's what we're doing. That's that's how we sort of work here. Um, let me go on record as saying we need to be developing some younger elders. Um, I don't know what that means specifically. I've just felt burdened of the Lord that that needs to be high on my priority list. So um, that's what we want to be doing here at Fellowship. Let's make a couple applications, okay? Let's make a couple applications. Number one, the people of Fellowship Bible Church, we must hold unapologetically to the gender demands that the New Testament puts on us. Okay? Now, I should have said this earlier, the office of elder is a male office. 
the qualification is that you be a husband of one wife. Okay? In all the New Testament, it's the in specific statement after specific statement, it's very clear that the office of elder, pastor, overseer is a male office. Now, this truth is under attack in our day. Some men that I considered to be great friends and partners in ministry have begun to hedge on this point. The woke culture is so loud and they will shout you down and speak all sorts of bad things about you if you don't fall in line with their wokeness. And too many churches, it seems like church after church is giving into this pressure. And again, it's not our job to create truth. It's our job to preserve the truth. And it's our job to come underneath of God's truth. And female pastors is not a matter of preference. It's a matter of truth. Because the New Testament is so clear about it. And I can understand if, say, you came from a church that had a female pastor and it was a tremendous blessing to you. I'm certainly not saying that that wasn't a real blessing. It didn't help you. But I will also say that the New Testament is very clear that the office of pastoring, elder, overseer is a male office. And that's not going to be popular. It isn't and won't be. And we've got to be prepared for that. We've got to be prepared for that. Really, it's a matter of honesty. The New Testament says it very clearly. And we're either going to submit to it or we're going to make our own truth of it. But calling a plate of spaghetti a steak dinner doesn't make it a steak dinner. It's <laughs> That's right. Okay, number two. We, the men of Fellowship Bible Church, must guard ourselves from a general unwillingness to serve in the office of elder but rather strive to qualify ourselves for the task should the Lord call us. Okay, Now, if you had asked me when I was between the ages of 19 and 29, are you going to be a pastor? I would have said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not patient or gentle enough for that. And I still don't think that I am. Okay, I'm trying to be, but... Who was deciding that? Was I deciding that? Or was God deciding that? And very often when I talk to guys about potentially filling the office of elder, what they tell me is, well, one of the qualifications to be an elder is that I have to be willing and I'm not willing. Aha! Loophole! I've got God this time. Well, who's decided that? Have you decided that or has God decided that? What if God is asking you to be willing? You know? So men, maybe God isn't going to call you to be an elder. He doesn't call everybody to be an elder. That's fine. But are you willing? Are you willing to, at the very least, bring yourself to, to, 
to train yourself in godliness to the point that you could even be considered for the task. You know, it's one thing to disqualify yourself with some sin, but it's another thing to disqualify yourself by failing to qualify yourself. Okay. Um, and I would like to challenge everybody, whether God calls you or not, to start to train the character qualities into your life such that if God moves on your church to say we would like you to serve in this role, you would be a ready weapon in God's arsenal. To, you're ready to be wielded by God. Okay, That's what I would encourage you. And so that's elders, pastors, overseers, shepherds and teachers. If you've got any questions about that, you can hit me up afterward. You can hit any of the other leadership up afterward. We're happy to talk to you about it. At this time, we're going to pray, and I'm, I am sorry that I went long. I did go long, and I apologize. Kiddos, kiddos, please forgive me. I went long. From the bottom of my heart, I apologize. I hope you had many wonderful things to occupy your minds with. At this time, I'm going to pray, and then what we're going to do is, um, if, if you didn't build into the time to, um, to stick around for our uh, business meeting, uh, while Nathan sings, you can just slide right out the back but everybody who wants to stick around for the business meeting can do that, and that way we don't have to uh, unleash the children out of the nursery because it's only going to take a couple minutes for nominations, okay? So if you don't want to stick around for the business meeting, that's fine. While Nathan leads us in a song, just slip right at the back, and that way uh, we can do the business meeting without having to unleash the kids from nursery. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to serve you. We pray for our elders now. May we be examples of the flock. Make us gentle men who are passionate for your truth, but compassionate with your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.